When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hith Liday, I'm the managing editor at Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Slurman's Matt Court. How are you doing? I'm very well this evening. Yourself? Oh, not bad. Um, I, I think I deserve some hazard pay from having to do the <laughs> film study on uh, Oregon versus Georgia. Um, yeah, that seems to be uh, the, sort of the take of the commenters on on it is, boy, I'm sorry you had to sit through that again. <laughs> um, basically, the conclusion that I, a lot of people, I think, before we started recording, we were sort of uh, uh, bitching and moaning about uh, football coverage, which is excessively emotional. Um, and and yet it's still, you know, often the case, not always, maybe not even half the time, but often the case that people's sort of emotional reaction to the game winds up being like, oh, it turns out the evidence actually supports that. Um, and in this case, you know, for everybody out there who is like, eh, you know, the offense actually wasn't half bad, you know, but the defense really was putrid and that was the problem in the game. I can say, yeah, the evidence definitely supports that, you know, once you, you know, go through it analytically. Um so I figured we, we'd start off talking about the defense because I really think that that's what, um, you know, what really, you know, sunk Oregon. It was uh, it was just as bad as it looked um, about a 20 percent um, defensive, you know, efficiency success rate, meaning on only about one out of five plays did Oregon prevent Georgia from um, gaining the you know sufficient yards given the down and distance to keep the sticks moving Um and, and certainly at no point did they string enough of those together sequentially to force a punt. Like, you know, they scored touchdowns on, on, you know, basically every drive. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty gross. Uh, before I go any further and like recounting my article, what did you, uh, think about the defensive performance slurms? Yeah, I think it was, a uh, to me, it was surprising because the, usually Oregon's defense is even on years when they're not as as good as some of the better defenses that they've had over the last decade or so usually they'll be able to have some success against one facet or another of the opponent's offense they'll either be good against the run and they'll force them to pass and maybe the pass defense breaks down a little bit and that's how the opponent scores uh, or the other way around that has also happened from time to time where they, for some reason they just can't seem to get their hands on the backs and and uh, and they do okay stopping the passes this game as you know Georgia scored on seven straight possessions and and I I didn't see any point at which I thought, okay, here we go. They're going to get a stop on this set of downs. Every one of them seemed like no matter what Georgia was trying, uh, they might have had one play in a, a set of three going marching for another first down that might have been unsuccessful. But everything else seemed to be working. And some of the some of the problems that you know you're you're going to talk about them a little bit from your article, but. The the uh, out of out of position players, the inability to close gaps quickly, uh, terrible tackling in some instances were surprising. I think because they happened a lot, as opposed to just oh well, there's a play that's kind of not very good, and somebody missed an assignment or somebody didn't wrap up on the tackle. Um, it just happened repeatedly, and I, I think that was the thing that was to me the most surprising part of it was the defense just never was able to pull it together, even after whatever adjustments were made at halftime were put in place. Yeah. I mean, I think there were, I think it came down to that there were three elements to um, what Georgia was doing that, that, you know, that made Oregon's defensive performance so bad. And, and, Two of them shocked me. One of them was not a shock. The, the one that was not a shock is simply, this is a really good offense. You know, like last year, I believe it was number three in F plus, you know, the advanced statistics. Um, 
it, it, it's extremely talented. Like the, you know, entire offense is made up of high four stars and five stars. I mean, the defense is two, um, to the point where like, you know, basically Georgia and Alabama are playing a different sport than everybody else. Like even, right. even teams like Clemson and Ohio state, which are extremely talented too, are, are still like a, you know, they're a rung below, you know, and those teams tend to get blown out when they play, you know, it's just like the, 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 the concentration of talent in those two teams is just like it's bonkers at this point um, to the point where you can be like well above the 50% line and, you know, blue chip ratio. I mean, Oregon's the seventh most talented team according to four seven um, in the country, but it's like the gap between two and three mm-hmm. is just enormous. And on top yeah. of that, like Georgia was bringing back basically all of their offense, you know, brought back their quarterback. They brought back um, all of their tight ends. They, or their pass catching tight ends. Anyway, they brought back most of their offensive line. Um, they didn't bring back their top two running backs, but they did bring back the next two who got plenty of meaningful experience. And plus the running backs were never really like essential to their, to their offense, or at least the running back production. Um, they, you know, they, they brought back, uh, you know, most of their wide receivers who were, you know, significant uh, production, like just like all they brought back their offensive coordinator and the entire coaching staff. And it's been continuity for the last, you know, several years. And Munkin is a really good offensive coordinator. Like, you know, like you wouldn't expect that offense to fall off, you know, not even a little bit. You you would sort of expect it to, if anything, improve a little and and improve on like the number three offense. Like, like, yeah, I I mean, I guess I'll put it this way. Nobody's going to have a good game. Like no defense is going to look good against Georgia offense right you should set the ceiling of what any team can do at maybe like 50 percent you know effectiveness um like defensive efficiency as i put it um so like you know the ducks were never coming out of there like smelling like a rose it just wasn't going to happen their their offense is just good um the two other things that were just shocking well you've already mentioned one of them is just like just the, the the tackling and coverage problems it was just it was just appalling like you know and i don't understand why that is um you know and when i say don't understand i mean i'm still like i need to gather more data about why that is like you know they were you know part of it is just like it's hard to tackle guys who are super talented and really in a lot bigger than you are right the way that like they're t- you yeah. know they have like a six seven tight end like i'm sorry jeff yeah. bossa <laughs> and like the, you know the famous one from that game is like jeff bossa true sophomore converted safety trying to tackle a guy who's got who's like 100 pounds heavier than he is just like right. yeah you know he he looks silly you know trying to do that you know so that's you know part of that obviously but there's other parts too it's just like why aren't you getting over there you know fast enough why aren't you you know wrapping up well you know why are you having a hard time you know with this um like i don't i don't know i need to gather more data on that question but it is like totally shocking and like another sort of within that same category of like coverage you know execution problems i'll put it that way um there's also like I was really surprised that Triquiz Bridges. I don't want to pile on on on, on Triquiz Bridges, but like he um, he was he's built like a safety. He should be a safety. He was recruited as a safety. He got forced into action as a cornerback last year because in the bowl game. Um, you know, all of Oregon's cornerbacks had left and, but then over the off season, it was like, Oregon got some good news at safety and, and good news at quarter quarter cornerback, right? Like Christian Gonzalez came in. I was like, right. Oh good. Bridges can move back to safety. And, it, and like he was playing safety a lot during the spring game. And I was like, Oh good. You know, all the defensive back room is good. And so like the fact that he was playing the starting corner for almost all the game. And we, we only saw, um, uh, 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 Manning, you know, on a couple of plays and they were run defenses on the goal line. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I didn't understand that at all. Um, I really want some answers there about what's going on with Oregon's cornerback room. Christian Gonzalez had a good game. Um, I No real complaints there. Um, but like, um, you know, I, 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 I I, I I was frankly, you know, surprised that I didn't see more of Manning. I was surprised that I saw as much of Triquiz Bridges that I did. Um, I sort of think if that performance from Bridges is indicative that like it might be time to try out some of the new freshmen, you know, Jaleel Tucker, mm-hmm. Jaleel Florence, because that was, I mean, it was a straight up bad performance. Um, hey, see, the Bridges. Things, you know, in following through 
the fall camp. And, and again, this stuff all has to be taken with a grain of salt, what, what coaches say about their team. But there seemed to be some excitement and or, and or enthusiasm about the defensive backfield. And so having what happened happen is another surprise, g- given the fact that before a game, and again, taking the, the quality of the opponent into account, uh, they didn't show the sort of quality that I think was should have been expected based on some of the commentary coming out of fall camp. Well, as, uh, some of it I, I think was good. You know, um, I Steve Stevens, I think, you know, played a fairly decent game and that's a guy who I think has been um, playing behind his talent rating for his entire career. Um, I've, I've got some, you know, I put a couple of decent plays for him in, in my article. I thought Bennett Williams had a really good game of, you know, always been in his corner. Um, uh, Christian Gonzalez had a good game. It's always hard to like, point, you know, see that with cornerbacks, but like, you know, they weren't picking on Gonzalez. Um you know, it, it really, you know, it really came down to just sort of two, two, two notable problems, which is, you know, Bridges at cornerback um, getting beat like a lot um, and Jamal Hill, who they needed Jamal Hill to be on the field as the nickelback because he's big. He's a real big guy and he gives you a good shot at covering um, Georgia's tight ends, which everybody in the universe, including me, um, believed was what Georgia was, you know, going to put all of its offense through in this game. So I understand why he's on the, the field a lot. Um, but I think everybody has also noted for as long as Hill has been here, he's not the fastest dude in the world. And if you want a, a pure, you know, he he's not a cover corner, like a cover slot corner. He is uh-huh. a star safety. You know, his job is to be big and to, you know, harass, you know, tight ends who are going into coverage. Um uh, or, you know, who are releasing, you know, downfield and he is covering them. Um, but, you know, face somebody with like elite speed, like, you know, him, Hill's not going to be able to do it. That, you know, that's the other big DB breakdown, um, you know, that I saw in, in this game. But like, it's not really the DBs, you know, to be honest, or at least that's only like part of that problem. The other part is the, the outside linebackers. Um, like, I was just like, I, I was really disappointed in FUNA. Um, I was really disappointed in sort of the edge contain, um, you know, from, from all the OLBs, Swinson and DJ Johnson included. Um, I understand the flows coming back from an injury, you know, on the ILBs, you know, Sewell's overrunning plays flow is, you know, his, his burst is incredible, but he's sort of hesitating to fire it off. Like I was just, yeah, the, 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 across the board of the linebacker performance was not, you know, it was just not up to snuff. Um, and I don't know why that is. I, I really don't. I, I want to gather some more data about that. Um, and that sort of leads me to the third category. Like I, I said that there were three things. One of it is George's offense is just really good. The second one is that sort of execution, you know, coverage and tackling problems that, that we've been talking about. And the third issue is what was really fascinating. And like, if it wasn't the Oregon Ducks on the receiving end of this, I would be like happily writing an article about what a cool guy Todd Munkin is, um, because it was really, you know, interesting. So when I wrote my big um, preview article about Georgia, I noted a couple of things about their offense. Um uh, one of them was that they were a pretty balanced offense in terms of run versus pass, and that even more specifically, that on um, that that they they had a tendency, as most teams do, to run the ball on second and medium. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because, in point of fact, Georgia's offense in twenty twenty one. Um, was not very good at running the ball. It was pretty mediocre. I don't really think that has to do with running backs. I think it's just that the offensive line was like not very good at run blocking. They're way better at pass blocking than run blocking. Um, and it was interesting because on second, Georgia was actually much more efficient on second and long than they were on second and medium, which like that's a record scratch kind of moment. Like nobody's more efficient on second and long and second and medium. But the reason for Georgia was that on second and long, they would throw the ball, you know, because like most teams do when they're in a long situation, they throw the ball and they're good at throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. But on second and medium, they would run the ball 
and they're not good at running the ball. And like, that was the only like down distance situational area in which Georgia had a mismatch between their effectiveness and their frequency. That, that was the one area in which Munkin was fooling himself. So the first thing that I noticed is that Munkin quit fooling himself in this game. Like they just basically stopped running between the tackles, which they're bad at. Um, they just stopped doing it. Um, and in particular, they stopped doing it on second and medium. Um, so like, you know, first area where you got to take your hat off to that guy, they fixed a flaw in their offense last year, or actually they didn't fix a flaw. They just stopped doing something that they, you know, was that they were bad at. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. and uh, there's a silver lining there for Oregon um, to take away, which is that like actually Oregon's defensive line was performing at, you know, a nominal level um, against this offensive line in run blocking. Oregon did a pretty decent job um, in in uh, in stopping, you know, inside runs um, as well as any other SEC defense did, you know, last year, um, which is to say pretty well. Um, I actually thought that Oregon's defensive line was had a pretty good performance, and that's without Pupu Amavai, who we learned after the game has a broken foot, uh, I believe, uh, or some sort of lower body injury, and is probably going to miss the season, which, which stinks. Um, but Oregon had developed a good depth of nose tackles, right, um, with you know some transfers, um, and the, you know they were able to weather that, which good i was you know that was one of the things that i wrote about oregon over the offseason as being like i think this is going to be important to the defense and already um i think that's proved to be true so anyway um that's sort of number one thing that, that munkin did the other thing that i noticed about georgia's offense in 2021 is that they evolved to be um for a couple of different reasons uh, read my article if you want to learn them but they evolved to be a very tight end uh, heavy offense and also play action like tight end passes intermediate tight end passes over the middle was effective part a of their offense and surprise sideline deep shots to the uh, wide receivers off of play action was the other you know surprisingly good part of their offense um, and, and you know I really described you know the biggest problem that opposing defenses had facing Georgia was that they didn't think either of those things were coming um, because Bowers was a true freshman and their receivers were not you know lighting the world on fire type of guys but you know sort of the structure of Georgia's offense caused them to have like wide open um, you know, d- deep receivers that, you know, Stetson Bennett could hit, you know, rainbow balls to, even though his arm strength is not real great, they'd be so wide open that like, you know, yeah, the, matter. The, the, the res- <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, um, so that was, you know, everybody was expecting Georgia to continue with those two things. Um, y- you know, uh, and, and in particular, it appeared that Dan Lanning was expecting Georgia to do those things. And um, instead, you know, when everybody was expecting Zig, they zagged. They made their offense pretty different. They actually only hit a couple of passes to their tight ends in, in between sort of a different point of emphasis from Georgia's offense and the fact that Oregon was, you know, putting all of their defensive emphasis on stopping those things. And also their cornerbacks were playing soft in order to prevent those deep sideline passes to the wide receivers. And Georgia responded or actually respond. I don't know what the chain of, I don't know how the causality worked. I don't know if it was in, in the game, Georgia was watching Oregon's defense and said we should zig instead of zag or zag instead of zig um or and I think the second one is more likely they were just inside the head of Dan Lanning because why wouldn't they be right like they employed the guy for three years um and they were like and they knew okay he's going to do this. He knows our threat is this. He's going to do this. He's going to blitz in this way. He's going to bring you know, he's going to drop that guy out and bring that backer. And that means this short pass to the inside is going to be open. And so like Georgia was hitting their slot receivers way more than they were in 2021. They're like number 10 and number 81. And some of their other like backup receivers last year were basically afterthoughts. They basically got no catches last year. And this year in order the opener, they were lighting it up. Like everything was going there and it was a bunch of screen passes and wheel routes. Um, you know, it was like everything except throwing the ball down the sideline to the outside wide receivers and everything except hitting the, the tight ends and intermediate passes. Like they, they they just like, they did the mirror opposite of what their 2021 offense was. And Oregon did not have an answer, you know, for that. Um, And to the extent that they were able, you know, that they figured out answers to it, they then couldn't execute per the, you know, second part of our discussion. Um, 
So, like, th- again, if any other team were on the receiving end of this treatment, I would be standing up and saluting and applauding, you know, like wh- how brilliant that was. Because, I mean, yeah. look, man, I spent most of my time studying Pac-12 teams who would never do anything that clever, who would never, like, understand their opponents so thoroughly that they can, you know, rope-a-dope them like that. Or um, and I might not be able to execute it if they did think of it. Yeah. Right. They yeah, exactly. Talent. Or, or even that first part that I was talking about where they self-scouted and figured out inside mm-hmm. running was not what their strength was and that that was an, uh, you know, that was a mismatch between their frequency and their effectiveness and so stopped doing it. Like, yeah. you know, that wasn't about snookering Dan Lanning. That was just like, you know, correcting uh, uh, an imbalance. Like, mm-hmm. do you know how rare it is for me to see a Pac-12 coordinator correct an imbalance like that, like appropriately self-scout? Like, I basically yeah. never see it happen. And yeah. so, like, I mean, honestly, like, really hats off to Georgia. Like, you know, that that, that they were able to do that. Um, oh, something I rarely get to see. I just wish the Ducks weren't victimized. By me, yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is... Uh, you know, you, you, most of the time we don't even see teams change up th- anything that they think, even if they know it's a weakness. Uh, yeah, they just like, don't even have the just, ability to do anything yeah, they else, just even if they're blasting away at whatever it is. And, and I, I uh, tend to think it's a simple lack of recognition, like they're not even smart enough to recognize it. But you may be yeah. right that like maybe they are smart enough to. Wouldn't that be torture? You know, like oh man, oh, I know yeah. this is a problem, but I don't have the ability to teach these. Yeah. you know, these kids that I got need differently. Yeah, yeah. 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 That would be that would be a bad feeling. I think, you know, if I am right about those three different components, um, you know, each of which knock off, you know, uh, you know, uh, a good chunk of Oregon's defensive performance. I, I think the the good news is that the first and the third of them, that is playing an uber talented, super productive offense and playing one that was like inside Dan Lanning's head and was smart enough to like adapt and change and, and present the mirror opposite. Like none, neither of those two things are going to be true for any of Oregon's opponents going forward. Right. Right. Like nobody's got George's talent. Nobody, you know, anywhere close to George's talent. In fact, I was listening to a different podcast. Our, our friends, uh, uh, QB 11 and Doug, um, uh, the ducks rising podcast is listening to those guys a little earlier today. And like the, 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 the comment that those guys made is that if you made an all-star team out of Oregon's next 11 opponents, and then put that team on the field with the actual Georgia team that Oregon just played, Georgia would blow that team out too, you know, like, right. the, yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody that Oregon is playing is going to come anywhere close to that team. And there's only one team that gets to be the first one to play Dan Lanning, you know, like, um, and, and that was it, you know, they shot the, the, the Oregon's opponent shot their wide. Georgia got to take that one. Um, so, you know, those are two things that I, I obviously can't guarantee, you know, any greater performance or anything. But, like, they, you know, th- those are things that are, like, uh, don't really make me sweat that much going forward. The thing that makes me sweat a lot going forward is the second thing that we talked about, the the execution um, and coverage issues. Because, like, while those things can be corrected and I sure hope that training practice and practice this week is real brutal on those guys. Cause they, yeah. they need it. Uh, uh, like, I don't know, man, I, it might be that Oregon has a bunch of duds on their roster. Like, I, I mean, I hope that's not the case, but like, I don't have any evidence to countermand it right now. You know what I mean? No, they got to prove it on the field. I, I completely agree. And but even the guys that, that you know are talented on the defense didn't come to play against Georgia or and everybody. I think almost everybody at least was guilty of missed assignments or poor tackling or something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the question is, is this just early season? Is it jitters? Is it now uh, we need to, you know, you, there's more improvement between your first and second game than the rest of the season and all the cliches you care to throw at it. Um, you know, hopefully the case is that, you know, there's going to be a ton of film study and um, people are going to recognize, oh, yeah, I, I don't know why I did that. I know what I was supposed to do. And going forward, they'll have those assignments down and remember the fundamentals on their tackling. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope so. Um, I, I really don't. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
you know, I, I guess we'll find out going forward. I mean, they have an FCS opponent coming up. They've got BYU, which is going to be a tough team. Um, you know, Stanford and Wazoo, who are each present their own set of weird, you know, challenges and opportunities. Um, yeah, man. Like, I, I feel like we're not really going to, like, you know, I, I, there's so much not Georgia on the schedule left to be played, but it's not like, it's not like the next 11 teams are Georgia light, you know, they're not like, you know, well-balanced, evenly managed, well-coached, you know, rosters that are just like somewhat less talented or, you know, Mm -hmm. like shades and gradients of less talented. They're all like kooky teams because it's a Pac-12, right? And BYU and an FCS team and like BYU is, you know, is made up of a bunch of like two stars and walk-ons and stuff, but like they're all 27-year-olds with Tom Waits CDs in their cars, like, you know, um, uh, the, like, um, they're all like wacky rosters, um, who present their own like challenges and opportunities. Like, um, you know, I feel like, and so like, it's going to have to be till the end of the year or, or, or at least pretty far into the year before I can seriously aggregate some data and come to some conclusions about like whether or not, you know, that, that proposition that I just made, like maybe these guys are a bunch of duds um, right. or maybe a, a number of, a number of dudes. I don't, I, I, I feel very certain in saying are not duds. I think the brain Doorless is not a dud. Um, I think that Casey Rogers, the one, the, 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 the um, Nebraska transfer defensive end is not a dud. I think Bennett Williams is not a dud. Um, and, and, uh, um, uh, I'll stop there. Uh, I could, I could, I could keep going if I didn't give your name and you're a player who's listening. I'm not necessarily coming after you. I just, anyway, the, uh, like, but I think there's a possibility. Um, I think there's a possibility that a number of the very talented on paper guys on Oregon's roster are duds. I think there's a possibility that Dan Lanning is a dud. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's definitely the case. Um, but like, I I am saying that like, we're probably not going to have an answer next week or the week after that, or the week after that, or the week after that, you know, it's probably not going to be November or even until next year before I can aggregate the data due to the wackiness of Oregon's opponents, because that's what happens when you play in the Pac-12, due to the wackiness of Oregon's opponents where it's not like this even gradient. Like the SEC, it was actually really nice to do Georgia Film Study because like all these SEC teams are like, because they're serious about football in the SEC, like all of them are just like their gradients of Georgia, right? They're like, they're well-balanced teams. They just have, you know, this is the the, the team that has a 0.91 average talent rating. And this is the version of Georgia. If they had a 0.88, you know, average talent rating and so forth and so on. It's like that, that provides a nice, you know, sort of smooth, you know, gradient. Like with the Pac-12, it's just like, here's the team that's got three, five stars and everybody else are walk-ons, you know, like, uh, <laughs> and, and so like, uh, uh, it's going to take a long time for me to aggregate the data to come to like methodologically sound conclusions about whether or not what we saw in Atlanta last week is, you know, true to what that roster is or not. Like I'm like, pe- people are going to be, you know, asking me uh, as well. They might, I guess I I'm flattered. Um, or I should feel flattered by that. Uh, are going to be asking me like, was that real? Was that real? Was that real? You know, all, all, all season long. And I'm going to have to give the most honest answer that anyone's ever given to any question, which is, I don't know yet. Um, and I'm going to be having to give that answer for a long time. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't see, uh, you know, early decisions on, on some of the players on the coaching staff especially Lanning is going to be a really hard read because it's his first crack as a head coach. And right. he's going to, he's got a gigantic learning curve already, much less when you actually get into games and have to scheme for opponents and things of that nature. So it's going to be a while before anybody can say anything definitive about Lanning and it, it might be years. Yeah. And I mean, I, just to reiterate, you know, something else that I said, like, nobody gets to be as in the head of Dan Lanning as his former staff. You know, this is right. one of the things that we talked about going into this game is just like Lanning has an advantage because he saw Georgia's offense all season, you know, all, all three years, you know, mm-hmm. like he knows the ins and outs of this. So he runs a defense that, that, you know, and like, I guess what we should have mentioned, you know, I feel maybe a little stupid for not, you know, mentioning it. So the reverse is also true that like, if you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're a man that that means that you can, uh, 
you can attack him in his blind spots or you can attack, you can predict what he's going to do and do something different. Now that's a rarity in college football, um, sadly for film reviewers, but it happened in this game and oh boy, did it happen. Um, yeah. And, if Georgia's nobody else gets season. to do that. Nobody, uh, you know, Oregon's not playing Memphis, you know, <laughs> like right. nobody else gets to d- 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 pull that trick again. Yeah, if, if Georgia had played a whole season as they did last year with tremendous success running the, the offense the way they were running it, you wouldn't go into that first game expecting them to think, you know, we have some weaknesses despite the fact that we're the defending national champions and we need to make some changes to some of the things that we're doing. No, Nobody would think that way. It's like, well, I, I can certainly Most understand why, certainly. Yeah, why Coach Lanning would think, okay, Here's what they do in these situations, and here's how we're going to scheme to stop the things that they did all last year in every game. Well, surprise, as you note, they changed some of the things that their offense did, whether it was directly in result of the fact that Lanning had experience at Georgia or whether it was, as you note, this sort of self-evaluation and recognizing the weakness and that it needed to change. Who knows? But the fact of the matter is it was extremely successful uh, last Saturday. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the reason why film review is so, you know, effective as a predictive tool is, you know, the old adage in analytics, you know, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, Mm -hmm. because by and large, people don't change and especially successful people. Right. Or people who have experienced success doing one thing, they, you know, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, You know, is the prevailing wisdom. And like, you know, Oregon ran into the one team that that fixed something that wasn't broken. It's like it's so rare, you know. All right, let's take a break. Um, when we come back, we'll we'll talk about Oregon's offensive performance against Georgia. So um, there's definitely a uh, other than that. How was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Uh, uh, aspect to this. <laughs> But I actually thought that Bo Nix had an okay performance as a debut, except for the two stupid picks that he threw, which basically right. doomed Oregon. <laughs> um, but like, you know, uh, my feeling, and I, I want to hear your opinion about this, but like, if you put the, um, the Bo Nix tape next to the Anthony Brown tape, like mm-hmm. Nix is a more accurate passer. He's a more confident passer. He scrambles better. Um, you know, he was not leaving the pro- pocket inappropriately. He made all of his RPO reads correctly. Um, you know, I thought he had a real good performance. And then twice he threw a, a really stupid pick. And like picks are, you know, it, it, turnovers are, are of such moment in, in college football that, you know, like that sort of undoes almost everything else. But like, if you just look at it on a per play basis, like actually Oregon's offensive performance was 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 pretty good i thought how did you feel about it slurms yeah i agree i you know i thought that oregon moved the ball pretty well generally and people do tend to focus on turnovers and these two interceptions were bad they came uh you know at terrible times in the game for oregon but besides that that and that the thing that's frustrating about it is that you know if you if you read up enough about bo nicks and some of the the opinions about his time at Auburn, this was predicted that this is mm. what would happen is that he would throw, I think a couple of people actually said he'll throw two interceptions, he'll make, you know, a bad read and throw a ball that he shouldn't throw and so forth and so on. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess you flip a coin and you're either right or wrong on that. But the, but the truth is that uh, he did those things. And it's unfortunate that it, I, I don't think it changed the outcome of the game, obviously. Anyway, when your defense, when your defense doesn't stop the other guys even once. Right. Uh, I 100% you know, you're not, not going to win. That's why we started out talking about the defense. Yeah, you're, you're not going to win a shootout was... in this game. You're not going to beat these guys 52-49 or something. Um, so the, the key thing was the defense's inability to, to keep the game close when Oregon was was moving the ball but having problems and obviously they had problems the whole game scoring any points at one point I noted they had 300 total yards and three points um, that you know that's not going to obviously 
win you very many games. So I think it's it's too bad. I think if he hadn't thrown those interceptions when he threw them, I think his the, the, the way people feel about his performance would be tremendously improved, even if the score ended up being the same. But people tend to glom onto that kind of a thing and want to use that as a, a blame for the outcome of the game when, when I think it, it probably was not. It wasn't helpful, but they didn't Oregon didn't lose the game because Bo made a couple of bad throws. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with that take. And, and the other thing is that, well, I, I think the thing that was a bit shocking is that, like, for a lot of people who were predicting that Bo Nix was going to have a better performance at Oregon than he did at Auburn, which I still think is on the table. Like, I, I don't think that that is foreclosed um, by the Georgia performance, you know, for all the reasons that we were talking about in the previous segment, like Georgia's a really right. good team. Um, yeah. it, you know, the, it, it, the, but the reason that a lot of people I think were predicting that he would immediately have, you know, a better performance at Oregon was that his splits between when he um, had a clean pocket and when he didn't have a clean pocket were pretty big. Like mm-hmm. he was a, you know, very, you know, good quarterback, you know, in a clean pocket and he would make, you know, you know, mistakes under pressure. You know, that's true of many quarterbacks, but it's like very sure. true of him. And the thing that was remarkable, and this is sort of a silver lining, um, although uh, about Oregon's offense in general, although sort of a troubling note about Bo Nix in particular, is that those picks didn't happen when he was under pressure. They were just brain farts, you know, with clean pockets because Oregon, Oregon's offensive line gave him a clean pocket all game long. There was, the, I mean, the superficial stat for that is there wasn't a single sack. Um, right. But I can tell you from, you know, charting the games, like he wasn't getting pressured. Not really. Like, you know, you know, a little here and there, you know, about what you, I mean, hell, Eastern Washington is going to put as much pressure on, uh, on, yes. on Oregon the, as, as Georgia did. Oregon's offensive line did very well in this game. Um, very well does not mean perfect. And when you're playing Jalen Carter, who I believe is, you know, future, you know, high NFL draft pick, maybe in first round, like, yeah, you know, a little bit, but like, you know, perfect in the standard, this is football. Um, like it was, it was very clean pockets they were operating out of. And the two stupid picks that he threw were, you know, clean pockets and they were stupid. You know, I can tell you that is real dumb. Like one of them, I put the entire like sequence in my article, you know, of like the, 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 the second pick came, you know, um, the Oregon had earlier set up two different screen passes with the same formation. And the, the pick came the third time they trotted that formation out and it's meant to get Georgia to bite and play up and play man. And then you're supposed to blow past them and throw to the tight end. Um, and, and the thing was Georgia didn't bite and it was very obvious that they didn't bite. And it's not like he was distracted by the pass rush, you know, and, and that's his excuse. Right. No, he had a perfectly clean pocket. It was very clear. In fact, he kind of hitches the ball a little bit right before he throws it it's like it's like you could you can see the wheels turning this is like wait a minute this throw isn't here oh but i should throw it anyway and it's like no bo you shouldn't <laughs> throw it anyway you should have checked down and just throw in the screen like the play is designed so that if it's not there you can still throw the screen and the running back who is split out can still like run into the void of the defense playing back and get maybe like eight yards or hell maybe you can get first down like they really playing back um and instead he throws it anyway and he throws a stupid pick. The first one I don't have a huge problem with. You know, he probably shouldn't have thrown it to Seven McGee, um, who was a little, you know, shorter. But they were, he, A, it was a deep shot. B, it was so deep that it effectively acted as an arm punt. Like, it didn't set up Georgia with good field position or anything. Right. Um, it, uh, uh, the the DB had to make a really excellent play on it. And that DB was a true freshman who we'd never seen before. In fact, he was so off the radar screen that nobody I talked to when I would talk to multiple people about Georgia brought him up as a potential starter. Uh, his name is Starks um, Malachi. I forget. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting his first name, but his last name is Starks. He's a true freshman. Number 24 had an excellent performance, had a phenomenal play on that. And a, a couple other phenomenal plays. One of them uh, made it in my article. It was just like, yeah, that's the Georgia talent advantages they can have a cornerback that not even georgia fans are talking about turns out to be the starter and comes up with like pass breakups and picks and, and like phenomenal plays as a true freshman it's just like jesus buddy like that's where oregon wants to be yeah. but is not there yet like right. so yeah, anyway exactly um you know yeah and the second pick that you're talking about uh if, if you look at the you ran the video obviously as part of your article uh as bo's getting ready to throw the pick 
the screen pass is wide open and the closest Georgia player is a full 10 yards away. Yeah. Now uh, those and players the, and the close down is, fast. So like well, don't sure, immediately yeah, ten, expect he's yeah. going to get 10 yards, but right. yeah. But he's only got the, the guy that's 10 yards away is about to be blocked. But and it's first another, and 10. That's the other thing yeah. is like, so what if he only gets five yards, except second right. and five, that's a good place to yeah. be in. You know, like, yeah. it's not like he had to have those 20 yards. It's all like it was right. third and 20, you know, like uh, it's yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, and it didn't happen under pressure and he had time to right. think about it. I mean, that's the thing is really like you had time to think about it and that's what you decided to do. It's like, that's bad, man. Like yeah. it's really bad. Um, and I don't, I don't have anything other to say than like, I hope he doesn't do that in the future. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know, man. But, but like you said, it's past performance is predictive of future performance. So I will say on, on that subject, there, most of what I predicted in terms of personnel um, for, for Georgia and how well I thought they would play wound up coming true. Like mm-hmm. I did think that with the exception of Jalen Carter, that they were probably going to step down um, at their defensive line and probably at, at linebackers by the end of the year. I think their linebackers will wind up being pretty damn good. But at the beginning of the year, since they were so inexperienced due to Georgia making some, uh, in my opinion, kind of weird decisions of not playing their backup linebacker until extremely late into garbage time, even though they knew they were going to lose all three of those guys to the NFL draft. Um, uh, you know, th- those guys were going to be very green, and I thought they played um, green. Um, I thought th- th- their returning OLBs were very, very good, and they were. Um, uh, I-, I predicted, with the exception of Starks, the true freshman that I just mentioned in the defensive backfield, the other dudes that wound up playing, including their positions, which required understanding that they were moving a guy only temporarily over in this in the spring game over to cornerback and that he was going to be returning to safety. I got that prediction correct. Like, I'm actually very proud of my article when it comes to the personnel. Um, I, you know, I nailed it. Um, with the exception of Starks um, and Oregon's performance against it. Like, you know, I nailed that too. Like I'm very proud of it. But the one thing about the defense that I was surprised, genuinely surprised by is that, you know, I put, I devoted a substantial uh, portion of my preview article to like Georgia secondary is not elite. Um, that their their defensive front was super elite and that that meant that their secondary just never got any action because like the front shut down every play. Um, but the, when stuff did get to the second, uh, you know, or third level that like you could, you could get those guys to miss tackles or you could get right. those guys out of position. You know, you could scheme them out of the way. Um, and, um, and then that wasn't happening uh, in this game. And I believe, and I don't know, I could be just like an Oregon optimistic Homer looking for a silver lining here or looking for an excuse. I, I, I can't discount that possibility, but I don't think so. I have been doing this for a long time. Like, I, I really believe from film study that what I was seeing was that the, the veteran returners were stepping up and simply playing better, better than the mere incremental improvement that everybody enjoys, you know, going from one year to the next as a returning player. Like, substantially better there was a substantial step up from um jackson and chris smith and keely ringo um and william pool um in this game um more than i was expecting um to see and uh and so again that's a hats off to georgia thing like you you whipped a sometimes shaky secondary that was losing like half of the dudes they played they played about eight guys in the rotation last year and they lost four of them um but the four guys who returned who i think i just named those four um stepped it up like they really played better than they were playing last year um and so, you know, that too was, uh, you know, a hats off to Georgia thing. Um, and, and I feel like the only thing that I, I don't know how much egg on my face that constitutes, but like, as you say, or as you reminded me that I said, um, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And I wouldn't have um, predicted that based on their past behavior. Um, so well, they, they did, uh, you know, if, if, if they had spent the off year evaluating this talent and figuring out, again, as they did on the other side of the ball, figuring out where the weaknesses were and figuring out how to upgrade those same players to be higher quality players. That's what a staff should be doing. And that's what I think a lot of people hope Oregon staff will be doing. Now that supposedly we have better players with more stars uh, after their names coming out of high school, those guys still need to be upgraded to play at this level that we saw on Saturday. 
So that's the hope in your staff is that they're going to figure out a way to take the sort of the inherent wish of these players to be the greatest ever uh, and figure out a way to help them make that happen. So anyway, the other upshot of, um, I think that's all true. Sorry, it sounded dismissively for a second, but like, yes, definitely that is the challenge. Um, The other thing that I wanted to say about George's DB stepping it up is that, that that was very clear clearly George's defensive strategy and they were able to execute it, which was to take away the deep ball. Um, Oregon really only attempted two deep passes and they didn't complete either one of them. One, one was the, the pick, the, the, that we did the first interception of the game. Um, the one to seven McGee that the Starks picked off. Um, and the other was I put in my article, it was a, a, you know, flag route to, um, Thornton, I think. Um, where, I mean, he's covered, but in order to cover them, George's DB has to get really physical with them, and, like, nobody else is open, and, you know, it was a good possibility of drawing a flag, and it was, like, second and five, and, you know, I, I didn't hate the throw, um, uh, but they really only attempted two, and, and the reason for that was that they're really, you know, dudes weren't open. Um, and and yeah. I don't think it's because like Oregon's wide receivers aren't fast dudes. Um, I don't, or aren't tall dudes or, or whatever. Like, I really don't think it's because Oregon's offensive skill players are duds. And I don't think it's because Bo Nix doubts his ability to complete the deep ball. I mean, obviously those are coherent and valid possible explanations. And for a lot of teams, I might describe it that way if I thought that the film supported that, but I just don't think the film supports that conclusion. I think the film supports the conclusion. That, that George's DBs got better and they were covering better and that their strategy was to play softer and to take away the deep ball. Um, and that's why Oregon was um, throwing a, a lot more short and intermediate stuff. And actually, Oregon's offensive efficiency in the passing game was pretty good. It was 58% efficient, which mm-hmm. is like Georgia last year was allowing um, their opponents 41% efficiency. Like that's that's an enormous increase. Yes, it's just one game. There are some sample size issues with that. I, I understand. But like Oregon basically took what Georgia gave them. Like yes. how often you hear that advice is like, that's the yeah. appropriate thing to do. Oregon was yeah. taking what Georgia was giving them. And the problem wasn't that they weren't able um, to complete those passes. They definitely were. And the problem wasn't that Nick's wasn't accurate because he definitely was. And the problem wasn't that they weren't evaluating Georgia's defensive structure and uh, properly placing passes to the open guy. They were doing that. The, the problem is that, you know, what Georgia was asking Oregon to do was methodically march down the field and hold on w- one Put, put attack on that real, real quick. The other thing is that Oregon's rushing game was pretty efficient. Oregon's rushing game was, again, much more efficient than Georgia's opponents were than, uh, last year. Um, Oregon's offensive line did a good job. I think Oregon actually, all four of the Oregon's backs are Cardwell and Dollars and Whittington and Irving are all good ball carriers. And Oregon's offensive line was opening holes for them. And they were, you know, like it wasn't a huge amount of yards per run, but they converted, you know, a bunch of third downs. It, it was a good rushing attack too. Um, that George is very good at tackling. And so you don't get any yards after contact or after the, the catch. Um, and so you're not able to turn methodical plays into chunk plays. That's just, you know, George's superpower, what they're able to take away. But Oregon effectively, uh, uh, offensive coordinator Dillingham effectively analyzed George's defense and came up with a game plan. And they executed that game plan for a methodical, you know, moving down the field in, in bits and pieces. The problem is, that you got to um, finish drives. Like you can't yes. have false starts that knock you back in the red zone. You can't have uh, other kinds of penalties. Um, you can't, uh, uh, you know, uh, drop passes. Um, uh, like you got to finish drives and Oregon wasn't finishing drives, but I mean, even as coach smart said, like the first answer that he had to a question after the game, you know, where, where she was like, the, the sideline reporter asks her, like, everybody noted that you have a bunch of defensive um, replacements. How did you think your defense did? And the first words out of his mouth were like, we got a lot of work to do. We never really stopped them. Um, and then you sort of went on to, to, to say, you know, uh, it sort of recontextualized that. But I mean, what he meant by that was that, like Oregon stopped themselves, but, you know, with, right. with penalties and, and, and sort of failures to execute. Georgia never kept them. You know, there was no I believe there isn't a single three and out in this game. Like, um, you know, I actually my confidence in Dillingham went up substantially um, uh, after this game. 
Um, I actually thought that that all things considered, given quality of George's defense, his ability to analyze where their strengths and weaknesses lie and come up with a good game plan. Now, the tactical execution, yes, that needs to improve. Um, and Nick's needs to not throw stupid picks. Um, but like the the game plan was a good game plan. Like I'm actually pretty happy with that. Yeah, I think one of the things that we saw in this game, if you look back at when Oregon plays these season openers against these difficult teams, um, I, thinking back to the, the first LSU game that they played, they had a, a very difficult time early in the game moving the ball, particularly on the ground. And so I was encouraged in a way about how frequently – uh, Oregon backs managed to get out of the backfield and in not open field because, as you know, Georgia's defense is predicated on shutting things down and making sure that you get no yards after contact. But I thought Oregon did a reasonable job of moving the ball and then stopped themselves, as you said, with missed passes, uh, dropped passes, uh, and and other mistakes, penalty, dumb penalties, and so forth. And so that was the thing. I, some of it was encouraging. It's, obviously, it's hard to be encouraged about the score, but they definitely moved the ball better than I feared they would be able to move it. I mean, they outrushed Georgia. And, mm-hmm. and they outrushed uh, almost every opponent that Georgia had last year. Um <laughs> You know, all things considered, yeah, I think there's a lot to, to build on with the offense. All right, let's take a break. Um, when we come back, we'll, we'll take our minds off of this with uh, America's Game. Uh, <laughs> all right, Slurms, uh, women's soccer has uh, gotten into full swing. You've written a couple of articles reviewing Oregon's uh, out-of-conference opponents so far. Uh, general impressions of the soccer team? Yeah, the general impressions are they've got a lot of hurdles that they have to overcome, and they've had some very poor luck early in the season, particularly with regard to injuries. Now, this is not an excuse because you have to win with the players you have. But the fact of the matter is that Oregon has uh, eight players, four of whom have been starters who have been out either were injured in preseason or who have been injured during the season. And they I, they may have lost a ninth player uh, in the first half of the game against Boise State last weekend. So with that as the context, um, the fact that coming into this game they had yet, against Boise State on Sunday, they had yet to lose a game uh, is pretty impressive. The, to me, the team's biggest uh area of weakness is getting off good shots on goal. Uh, they get the, In this game against Boise State, of course, Oregon had a lot of shots. They, they really dominated, despite the fact that Boise State likes to play a possession style where they pass the ball around a lot and sort of slowly work it upfield uh, until they can you know, go for the goal. Um, Oregon dominated this game in, in possession. It was over 60% possession for the Ducks in the first half, but they cannot find the net. And this is the thing that's keeping them from, from doing better uh, record-wise. Now they've got one win and one loss and three ties uh, and, and have just not scored enough goals in, in what is a generally low-scoring sport you have to score some in order to win. It's very difficult to win a game in which you don't score any goals uh, or even only score one goal. So the, the thing that Oregon needs to have happen is they need to get their players healthy. They need to get back to full strength and they need to figure out a way before that happens even to start putting their forwards in a position to score more, right? In fact, the last two games, the only player to score was a defender. And while you want your defenders to be able to score goals, that's not their primary job. And so you want to make sure that your forwards are getting those opportunities. And so far, Oregon has really struggled to create those opportunities for the forwards to score. On the other hand, though, I think you have to be fairly happy with Leah Freeman's performance as the goalkeeper. Absolutely. It's not – this is not – the problem – Oregon's problem 
in the games and so far again so far they, they had one win and three ties before the game against Boise State where they gave up three goals only one of the three goals as far as I could tell was was something that Freeman could have stopped if she'd been a little more aggressive coming off her line towards the Boise State player that had the ball. Most of the time, she's been spectacular, and she's made some saves that, that uh, were extremely impressive. And I think Oregon is going to do very well in the long run with her in the goal. It's not, it isn't the goalie, and it's, not, it's a little bit of the defense – uh, and Oregon's got to be careful about not having breakdowns. And, and like I said earlier, you've got a defender scoring a goal, and that's not her primary job on the team. Uh, you need to make sure that your defenders can play their positions and don't have to come forward to try to help you score goals because the midfielders and forwards simply aren't capable of doing it. But I think Freeman's a great keeper uh, and, and is frankly only going to get better as the season goes along. Well, and it, and it redounds to the need to, to expand on the offense because, you know, soccer is, a, you know, a, a, unlike baseball, for example, or softball, you know, uh, soccer is a possession game, right? Where you can play defense with your offense simply by holding the ball and keeping it away from the opponent. Um, right. and, and, you know, it, in addition to, you know, giving your, your goal, tender some um breathing room uh by you know having a, a, a you know a, a scoring a bunch so that she doesn't have to have a perfect save rate that you can also just like reduce the number of shots on goal if you're holding the ball like you know this is the, the nature of of um i mean really the nature of all sports as we are going is that you know offense is going to out- outclass defense even in games in which you know the essential like the single essential player like in soccer um or you know with the person in the mound or on the circle in baseball and softball you know are defensive players um you know, overall, your your offense allows you to not just put points on the board, but it allows you to keep you know the the opponent's offense from holding the ball and attacking you. Like, uh, you know, it's just got to get better. Like, there there's no two ways about it. Like, Oregon's got to you know, um, Oregon's got to find that. And it's not even a matter of like shots on goal either, because you know I've been going through the stats. Like, their shots on goal are excellent. I mean, they had like ten more shots on. They all like double the number of shots on goal as Boise State did. And they still lost one to three. You know, that's crazy. You know, it's, it's like you, they shot the ball 19 times and only found the net once. Like that's not, um, and and as you see, Snyder's a defender, like, you know, not good enough guys. Um, Yeah. No, you get, you have to have quality shots. I mean, you just taking a shot is fine, but, and and it's admittedly difficult as soccer at any level will show it's difficult to put that ball on goal in some place where the goalie can't get it. Uh, was, and, you know, was that your impression from watching the game that they were like hurrying their shots or taking bad shots? Some of them, uh, they had several shots that were excellent. And, it, and frankly, the Boise state goalie had an excellent game as well. She made a couple of diving saves that, uh, you know, otherwise would have been in. We had another situation where an Oregon player, uh, shot a ball off the right-hand post, just outside the right-hand post, and it bounced off of it. And or just like a bounce. bad luck thing, like if it bounced a little where, Yeah, I mean, where, you know, six inches uh, to the left, and it would have been in. So, um, you know, and, and again, that was a situation where the Boise State keeper came out and challenged the duck player and caused that ball to be off target to where she probably would have liked to have shot it. And some of this, I think, has to do with the Oregon's injury situation, frankly, because when you, you get the coach noted this before the game that, you know, the, the team has been really good about um, understanding that they might have to learn new positions. They have to get used to playing uh, either a position or amounts of time that they're not used to. You might have uh, players who are normally substitutes have to start games and play many more minutes than they're used to. He says the players have adjusted extremely well to the changes that are necessary because of the injuries. But in any team sport, what a team needs to get better is time together to learn each other. And Oregon has really not had that opportunity because the injuries have come thick and fast as in, both in preseason and during the season. And so you have girls who might not be familiar with each other 
in the as familiar as we'd like them to be. Are you suggesting that the they're maybe not making that one extra pass they need to to get a better angle on the goal? Because uh, I don't know who that is. Like, <laughs> there's some, some, that does happen. Uh, that is one of the things that happens less. If you know, for example, if if you and I are playing, we know each other well, and I know that you like to get the ball in X spot, and this is, is true in basketball, for example, as it, as it is in soccer. Sure. You know, if I know that you can drain a, a corner three every time you shoot it up, I'm going to watch for you to head over there, and then I'm going to know that's when I should feed you the ball. And the same thing in some ways is true of soccer. It's it's not simply setting up a position on the field and then getting the ball and shooting it. It's how how do you, as a forward, for example, like to get around defenders to put yourself in a position to score? If I know that... I can lay the ball out for you in a spot that you're going to want to get it and be able to score from as opposed to putting it someplace where you're not going to be. Well, uh, Ducks have the opportunity to redeem themselves. Uh, Their next game is this Thursday, the 8th, uh, against Santa Clara here in Eugene. Uh, It'll be televised in the Pac-12 Network. Slurms are going to be covering that game. Um, Give me the number one thing you're looking for in that one. I think, uh, A, I want to find out if any players are going to be coming back because this will be, you know, half a week, I guess, uh, of additional time. So is is Oregon going to get any of its regular players back, any of the starters that have been out? And then secondly, I want to find out if they have figured out a way to generate more offense. Santa Clara is a good squad. They're going to be a tough opponent. Uh, but and Oregon's going to need to figure out the offensive problems in order to have a chance in that game. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Sorn's been great talking to you. You got any parting words of wisdom for us? Uh, you know, I appreciate the chance. I'm looking forward to uh, Saturday's game with Eastern Washington. Definitely a chance to get back on track for the season for the Ducks. Yeah, I'll be writing up my preview. That'll go up on Friday morning, as will uh, all of my previews this year, except I think they have a midweek game against UCLA. I'll write that one earlier. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to writing my article on Eastern Washington. Actually, I'm about halfway done at this point. Um, uh, yeah, sh- should be a, a fun game to watch. Um, all right. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip side, everybody.